I'm Francis Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 158 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, January 31st. We made it through the first month of January 2024, but just barely. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Strzok. We've got another jam-packed show for you today, including updates on the New York Attorney General civil fraud trial, which could have a verdict out by the time this episode airs, as well as updates from Fulton County and news about Peter Navarro's criminal contempt case. Oh, poor Pete. Mm. Uh, We also have new information from Congress. Uh, Tired, the impeachment of Joe Biden. Wired, the impeachment of Mayorkas. So (laughs) we're going to talk about that. Plus, news on Rudy, Matt Gaetz, E. Jean Carroll, OAN, the One America News Network, the Alvin Bragg hush money case, all kinds of stuff to update you on this week. But first, we have new patrons to thank. And by the way, the winners of the D.C. Meetup Lottery have been notified. Um, We do have alternate lists uh, if somebody can't make it. So keep an eye on your email. I'm working on a hotel group rate, Pete, for people traveling from out of town. Um, So also keep uh, keep an eye open for some questions about whether or not you might need a room. We might be able to get you a discount. Uh, Also, if you were not selected this time, hang tight. We have a lot of other events around the country this year, including probably a show, a live show in D.C. that I'm going to probably make Pete go to. So (laughs) maybe Andy. Sounds great. Love live shows. Live shows. Live shows. They're always fun. Um, So we have a lot of other events that that you'll get priority for if you weren't selected this time. We have a way to wait the next lottery. Uh, W-E-I-G-H-T. And this week we are thanking our Hall of Fame patrons. So thank you to ATX Polar Bear, Clover's Tree 73, Roberta Reed, Pete Strzok as an entire smoke show. Oh, I didn't know that person was a Hall of Famer. Thank you. (laughs) Catherine, I'm pretty 
cute. Okay. Catherine Gilbert White is totally awesome at her job. Devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for an election to steal. He was way behind. He was in a bind by 11,780 votes. Star Lennis, Sharon Tukulski. Take a load off Fanny. Take a load for free. Take a load off Fanny. And you put your load right on DJT. <laughs> Love that. And of course, at Dirt Road Dems. So thank you very, very much. We couldn't do this without you. Seriously, you would not be listening to this. You wouldn't be getting the bonus episodes if it weren't for our patrons. So thank you. Thank you. So Pete, what do you say we start with New York Attorney General civil fraud trial since we could get that ruling any minute? As we're talking, we don't have it. But as you're listening, we might. Um, Judge Angoron says he expects to rule by Wednesday, January 31st, which is, as you know, the day the, ep- this, the this particular episode airs. So people of the future, you may already know the Trump organization's fate. But additionally, Pete, the New York Attorney General notified Judge Angoron that the Second Circuit Court of Appeals affirmed pharma bro Martin Shkreli's lifetime ban from the pharmaceutical industry. Do you remember that guy? I do. And I remember his, his he had like the original of some uh, rare, rare Wu-Tang uh, clan. I don't know if it was a one record or a record set, but it was just, yes, one of the, he is the Vivek Ramaswamy of the pharmaceutical industry. Just the most aggravating, irritating, nobody likes him, unctuous, smarmy, horrible man. Well, didn't Vivek also screw over the pharmaceutical industry? He did, yes, yes. He bought it, yeah, bought it. And then after it had failed a bunch of, or at least one pharmaceutical trial, and guess what? It failed yet another uh, tanking the stock, but not before he cashed out or his family so cashed he, out. He's like what you get if you order Vivek Ramaswamy on Wish. It's like <laughs> not even as good. <laughs> so, uh, so Shkreli, anyway, was banned, you know, had a lifetime ban from the pharma industry. Uh, and, and the reason that the New York Attorney General notified uh, Judge Angoron about this is because it pertains to the Trump case, right? Because she's trying to get a lifetime ban on Trump uh, in his industry. And she's saying, look, not only did the district court give a lifetime ban to this other guy in his industry for the same kind of shenanigans, uh, but the Second Circuit Court of Appeals upheld it. And since we've mentioned in previous filings the district court's decision, we wanted to update you on the Second Circuit Court of Appeals uh, affirmation of the Pharma Bros lifetime ban. Uh, but there's something big happened this week, and it kind of got overshadowed by the incredible E. Jean Carroll verdict, which we'll talk about later in the show. But the fiscal babysitter, the fiscal monitor over the Trump organization appointed by Judge Angoron filed a report with the judge this past Friday, and it is not good. Uh, as you know, back in September of 2022, just a few months before the Trump organization was convicted on 17 counts of felony tax fraud, Trump created a new company called the Trump Organization 2. Very sneaky. Mm-hmm. I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how the New York Attorney General picked up on that. Um, <laughs> but the New York, but Tish James thought that seemed sketch. Uh, so she asked the court to appoint a fiscal monitor and Judge Angoron obliged in November and appointed Barbara Jones. Barbara Jones was the special master in the Cohen case, the special master in the Rudy Giuliani case. She's overseen tons of stuff and she was appointed the monitor uh, because what Trump, the Trump, it looks sketch, right? What what he was trying yeah. to do. Now, last year, we learned that Trump actually moved 50 million in cash from the Trump org 
with to personal accounts without telling Barbara Jones, which is a no-no, and she reported that to the judge. That was a while ago. $5.5 million of that went to an escrow account for E. Jean Carroll, uh, and the rest apparently went to pay a tax bill. But now she's filed a report with the court saying what they've been giving her from the Trump organization uh, is incomplete and inaccurate and has errors. And it could be fraudulent, Pete, but she's not been tasked with concluding any, you know, if something is fraud. So she doesn't comment on that. In fact, she says in her letter, hey, I'm not tasked with deciding whether or not this is fraudulent. I'm just letting you know. Um, So that was in the letter. Uh, But Roger Sullenberger from the Daily Beast noticed in footnote six in her letter. Always read the footnotes. Always read the footnotes. There's a mysterious $50 million loan Donald Trump made to himself that he never paid taxes on. We've been talking about this mystery $50 million for a long time. And this could be a big deal if, you know, there's no other entry to balance it out in the books. He may be getting a $50 million tax break by loaning money to himself through a shell corporation that's not called Trump Organization 2. It's called, I don't know, some Connecticut surfware. So like it's it's actually looks like it was meant to hide money, uh, which is really interesting. Um, But still, Pete, not a peep from the Southern District of New York or the IRS about whether they're investigating federal tax crimes at the Trump Organization, at least nothing public that we've heard so far. This is the same man that, you know, the IRS customarily audits every single president in our nation's history. And they did up until President Donald J. Trump, which somehow managed to escape scrutiny because I guess it's just too hard. And as we've talked about, you know, it New York State, when they forwarded over all the civil stuff after the investigation, also sent a copy to the U.S. Attorney's Office and the IRS saying, hey, by the way, here's all our work and you can see what we did. And we think there might be violations of federal tax law in there. And yet time and time, is it just too hard? Is it just too hard? Is it the state of America today that if you have a big enough, complex enough financial picture that the IRS will never come after you because it's just too hard? Well, they seem to not have a problem with super like microscopic audits of Jim Comey and Andy McCabe. They, they had time for that. Right. But they don't have 500 LLCs that Donald Trump did that he disclosed as part of his, uh, you know, it, the, the ones he fessed up to and admitted to with his paperwork uh, accompanying the presidency. I just, I cannot understand why the things that we've seen going on, the violations at a state level, somehow don't implicate federal tax law. But what do I know? And Pete, even if you don't have the resources to do that investigation, Tish James is doing it for you. Just get the information from the goddamn new, excuse me, from the New York Attorney General. I don't. She put the word "federal" in her complaint like dozens of times. Yeah, you know, I don't. We could. That's a whole new hour. Um, but the New York Attorney General now has asked for three hundred and seventy million dollars in fines, disgorgement. Now, if I were going to bet on it, Pete, I'm going to put some beans on this. I'd say. He'll probably the Trump org will probably get hit with a fine of around two hundred twenty-five million. I I think that they that they might order the company to be liquidated. I think that uh, they may liquidate other assets. I think that he will be banned for life from real estate in New York at least, uh, because I think that's as far as they can go uh, at the New York Attorney General's office. Uh, but I don't think Don Jr. or Eric will be hit as hard as their dad will, um, because of some pointed questions that Judge Angoron had for the uh, prosecutors during the trial, specifically asking, you know, well, where's the evidence 
you know, with regard to, to Don Jr. and Eric. So I think Don Jr. will get off the easiest. Eric might be a little screwed, but I think the Trump org and Donald Trump are going to be hit the hardest. But that's all just guesses based on testimony and evidence and stuff. Yeah, I'm going to take the north side of that bet. I think it's going to be, it's not going to be 370. I I do think it may be more than 225, but I completely agree with you that the kids, and especially we didn't even mention Ivanka, I think the kids are going to be in a place that whatever happens to Don, the father, the kids, and and I do think it will be severe, and I do think it may well include a a lifetime ban. I don't think that'll apply to the kids. So I think that the organization Mm -hmm. and the family will have the ability to sort of shuffle some of these uh, you know, assets and business practices to the children uh, in a way that lets it continue, not not in, uninterrupted, but, you know, the dirty secret in all this is that, you know, Trump, despite all his talk about how wealthy he is, his fortune, such as it is, if you believe, uh, you know, even half of what he says, it's not a liquidity uh, type fortune. It is stuff that is largely either real estate and or Fictional. the the licensing ability oh. <laughs> when it, yeah. <laughs> yeah and that like his 40 billion dollar <laughs> brand or whatever the hell he says is his brand is worth oh yeah F- funny how the saudis and others and russians are willing to pay all kinds of money just funny how that works uh, well he did he testify that, that he has 400 million dollars in liquid cash we'll, we'll see. see we'll see because i bet you know <laughs> if it is if it is to but again Keep in mind, this is the guy who uh, allegedly in the fall of the 2016 campaign season was so tight for cash that literally millions of dollars, like 10 million or less, was a huge big deal at the end of the 2016 campaign. So okay. it's not he, – he talks a big game and he says he has – he he doesn't. I think if it you say you go with your figure, two twenty five. And we'll we'll like so let's add that. So right, potential three seventy, you say two twenty five. I think it'll be somewhere between the two. A jury just awarded E. Jean Carroll eighty three point three million dollars in her defamation case, and she got five point five million in the first trial. So if you add those two, take your figure, two twenty five, add that eighty three, you know, five, we're easily three hundred million dollars and over. The man doesn't have that much liquid cash, and I, it would thrill me to see him have to sell some real estate uh, or have real estate seized or have liens <laughs> yeah, put on it. Yeah, sold for him because he won't be able to To, to, do to it. put off to pay, right, to give to E. Jean Carroll. He would lose his mind. But it is not, everything is a lot. Everything is overblown. He is a con man. Oh, the yeah. entire, it is a confidence game. He rigged polls. He lied about how many people were at his inauguration. He lies about his crowd sizes. He lies about other sizes. I mean, the guy, the, he, he's always, always, always uh, overcompensating uh, his worth, value, you know, perceived or otherwise to the public, 100%, all the time. Right. And it has gone back to whether he was promoting a boxing match, whether he was promoting a casino, whether he was promoting some new property. It is all about hyping something up beyond what its probably fair, reasonable value is. And I have no belief that his actual fortune is anywhere near uh, what he claims. But you can't can't get around $300 million and we'll see what happens. He might have to pay after the this pyramid scheme apprentice fraud trial that, that that's happening in February. You know, there's there's a bunch uh, of 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 stuff coming up for him. So yeah, we'll find out. And you know, and he's just covering himself in glory. I mean, last Thursday he testified for what three minutes, and then he started complaining that oh, I'm not able to defend myself. But it, it wasn't there was nothing to defend. 
the trial was about damages. The time to defend himself was during the first defamation trial where the jury found him liable for sexual assault. Uh, you know, and we talked about this, this one, this time around compared to the, the first trial, this is going to likely be far, far, right. And Eugene, yeah. this is likely to be yeah, pivoting from, from the real estate to Eugene. Her $83.3 million is way larger than 5.5, largely because his reach as president was much larger than it was uh, after he left office. So remember that first trial was actually the second Eugene two for statements he made after he left office. This is the one that involved the statements where he's using the bully pulpit of the presidency and appropriately it was far, far higher. And you know, it, it could still go higher because he continued to defame her during the trial. He's been conspicuously silent following trial for like the past few days. I don't think he's going to be able to keep that up, but you know, he, he continued talking about her on true social throughout the trial. And he's going to, regardless of whether or not he appeals, regardless of however long it takes, he's going to have to pay the amount into an escrow account or get a bond and pay part of it if he wants to appeal. And, you know, interestingly enough, I saw some people talking about, you know, there is the possibility that what Jean, particularly given her age, she can sell essentially those proceeds to somebody who then are entitled to go after the recovery. They're responsible for all the appellate litigation. You know, that you do it, you dime, you, 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 uh, you, you average it down because you're getting money today for the future money. But essentially you can make a deal with somebody to say, Hey, look, give me a smaller portion of this. I will assign you the rights to the full recovery. And then let somebody Wentworth. go after it. She, she can right. call 877 cash now. And- <laughs> exactly. And get the cash now and do what she wants. And I mean, it may not be, you know, I don't know what the, what the, the fraction like of it that she could expect like to get, but I mean, that, for her, that would be great. I mean, particularly, you know, given her age, she gives her money to use right now as she wants to. She indicated in a uh, an interview, I think, last night that she wanted to do something, uh, a good cause that would drive Trump wild, perhaps setting up a fund for the victims of his sexual abuse. But, you know, th- there are any number of very, you know, smart ways that uh, that she could potentially get some money now while, while all the litigation and pursuit of Trump's assets continues into the future. But it's not going away. It's not going away. It's interesting, you know, whether 83.3 million is enough. I mean, he was quiet. He was quiet. He didn't uh, bring her up uh, by name in his Nevada rally. But he did on Sunday uh, share a Truth Social post um, with that defames E. Jean Carroll. So he's kind of right back at it. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to see perhaps they file for an injunction uh, to get him to stop other, you know, under penalty of additional fines and possibly jail time. We'll see what ends up happening, kind of like what they did over in the Ruby Freeman Shea Moss case. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it for you and we'll keep reporting it. Um, all right. We do have to take a quick break. We have a lot more news to cover. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. 
but with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler. How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Hey, welcome back. We have more Hall of Fame patrons to thank. Christine Tachner, David Chandler, Dr. David, Karen Sherman, Lisa Rollison. Personal circumstances are unfortunately obliging me to cancel all my subscriptions. So if you've been thinking about stepping up, uh, Mr. Halfspeed, Cindy McNary, Tiffany Trump was adopted, and Maria Tovar. Thank all of you so much for your support. Uh, you, you make this go. You are key, key partners in our ability to put this together every week, to put the bonus together and get that out to you as well. So thank each and every one of you for your support above and beyond. Uh, simply can't thank you enough. So let's move from New York down to Fulton County. We have a lot of updates. So first up, Trevian Cootie attacks Sidney Powell. Ken Chesbro and Jenna Ellis for flipping on Donald Trump during a bizarre interview at, guess where, Turning Point USA's America Fest in December. Quote, I'm just in the main RICO case where you had, you know, your defendants like Jenna Ellis, you know, plead guilty and Sydney, you know, Kenneth, you know, so forth. But in a world of Jenna's and, you know, Sydney's, be a Trevian cootie, be a fighter, be loyal, you know, be loyal to the country. You know, it's okay to be on the front lines. I just know that I would like to have the support of this country as I fight for this country, unquote. <laughs> Is that, she seems to be towing the line of uh, violating her bail conditions. She's not supposed to talk about witnesses. Um <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I yeah, maybe I think she's so close that I think the judge will give a little bit of deference to uh, erring on the side of letting her speak and not, you know, trying to stop her from expressing what she wants to express. But I, she is clearly going right up to the line. She's doing it, of course, you know, at Turning Point USA. I'm sure there was, uh, you know, a plea for funds and legal expenses. But, you know, fighting fighting for the country. No, <laughs> going to jail. But we'll see. Yeah, it, it doesn't really, like, reach the level of what she said about Ruby Freeman and how she'd mess her right. whole life up or whatever. Um, so, but you know, it continues. Um, and if it's not, you know, if motions aren't filed on bail conditions, I'm sure it might come up later in some sort of a pleading or during, during trial. Um, next up in Fulton County, Jeffrey Clark filed a heavily redacted, but quite short motion to delay the deadline to file pretrial motions. 
Uh, it appears, it appears he's saying that he needs more time because he's defending another case, um, meaning he's the defendant in another case. And he asked to have until March to file his pretrial motions in Fulton County. Now, Judge McAfee denied his request in a one-sentence order. I read your stuff, denied. That was four days after Clark filed his motion. Uh, and also, there was a hearing about Jeffrey Clark's motion to compel discovery. You know, he's asking for all communications between the DA and the White House and the Department of Justice regarding witness testimony. And specifically, he's saying there are two letters that haven't been handed over um, from the White House. Uh, about witness testimony, which makes it sound like Joe Biden is coordinating with the Fulton County DA on witness oh testimony. No, these are letters. <laughs> these are letters from the Trump White House granting permission for DOJ officials to testify to the grand jury. Uh, now, the, ju the judge said he would look at the documents in camera and let him know. <laughs> I don't think it's going to go the way he wants it to go. Uh, and probably the DA is like, you can have these letters, bro. Like it, it's it's ridiculous. But um, that that also happened. Yeah, there's not going to be anything there. I'm certain whatever it is that, you know, upon the judge's review. But even if he reviews and says, hey, you know what, here, it's this is not going to be the kind of thing that's, you know, blockbuster Brady testimony that shows that Jeffrey Clark was, you know, uh, subject to God, whatever he thinks it has it is not in there so well and he seems again. to think that tui permit tui information is somehow under brady information no. um and, and mcafee said you know i'll i'll take a look um tui being the the letter of permission that you need to testify if you're a a current federal official right Right, I think that's yeah. right, um, and so it, and and I don't think it is again at the end of the day going to matter. And the scary thing is, like this, this kind of you know, Jeffrey Clark is just the little engine that couldn't. I mean, it was just fail motion after <laughs> fail motion after fail motion. And sometimes I think, well, this is just you know what good lawyers do. They throw a bunch of crap against the wall and see if any of it sticks. I, with him, I'm not sure it's just not a bunch of kind of incompetent flailing. And again, for somebody who is a fairly senior DOJ official, I just. Should have stuck with those oil spills because this ain't this continues to not go well for him. And I do wonder if uh, at the end of the day he's exhausted his potential for a uh, plea with the DA's office. I mean, never say never. I'm sure if they, you know, could get a conviction, um, maybe they'd take it. But I, Clark, I don't know. Well, I have I have no belief that he is going to suddenly spring himself from this criminal trap that he is uh, ensnared in. Well, you know, they have a, a certain date which hasn't been set yet. Um, they have a they'll have a deadline. Uh, I think Judge McAfee. I think we reported in, in a previous show that he's not going to set a deadline for making a plea agreement, but that the DA could have a, a deadline, but it's not going to be court ordered. Um, and I think she's going to do that. And I think that deadline is June. Uh, it might change, but that's I think yeah. where it is right now. And then, you know, talking about the DA, Trump has joined Mike Roman's motion to recuse Fonnie Willis over allegations of a clandestine affair between her and a prosecutor uh, named Nathan Wade. Trump brought up her appearance and comments at the Big Bethel AME Church. Quote, the DA's extrajudicial comments set out in footnote one constitute a glaring, flagrant, and calculated effort to foment racial bias into this case by publicly denouncing the defendants for somehow daring to question her decision to hire a black man without also mentioning that she is alleged to have had a workplace affair with the same man to be a special prosecutor. 
These assertions by the DA engender a great likelihood of substantial prejudice towards the defendants in the eyes of the public in general and the prospective jurors in Fulton County in particular. Moreover, the DA's self-serving comments came with the added sought-after benefit of garnering racially-based sympathy for her self-inflicted quagmire, unquote. Uh, in the, it concludes with, quote, wherefore, President Trump, not former president, President Trump, it says, uh, respectfully prays that the court grant his motion to adopt and supplement co-defendant Roman's motion and the relief he requested, dismissal of the indictment and disqualification of DA Willis, the special prosecutor she hired, and her office. Now, a hearing from Mike Roman, uh, his motion is scheduled for February 15th, and Roman's lawyer said she intends to subpoena both Wade and Willis, among others, to testify at that hearing. Now, Willis is almost certainly likely to fight any subpoenas for her or her staff. And uh, I think she has till February 2nd to respond in, in writing as well, so we'll get that this week. Right. And so, yeah, this time next week, we'll be able to go through and see what she says. But some of the the commentators I've seen that are familiar with Georgia state law, I I think she's in pretty good uh, territory in terms of not necessarily needing to uh, testify. But again, we'll see this. We'll see what her response is by this time, by the next episode. And then the the hearing is scheduled for the 15th. So less than uh, two weeks from when you're listening to this or maybe exactly two weeks from when you're listening to this. Yeah, and we talked about that article written by uh, Joyce Vance, Norm Eisen, and Richard Painter about how this doesn't rise to the level of removal or anything like that under Georgia law. And they went through all the statutes and codes and stuff like that. Uh, But they did say that it probably would be a good idea for Nathan Wade to step down, not Fonnie Willis, because she's an elected official and has a duty to her constituents. But for Wade uh, to step down is what they recommend. But we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. Um, all right, next. Uh, remember Susan Holmes? She was uh, the elector that refused to go along with the fraudulent elector scheme and um, was ordered by the court to have her deposition taken early. Fonnie Willis asked for it to be taken early. They, the court granted that. Well, Sean Still, he's the indicted guy who is a member of the Georgia State Legislature. And he did get his pretrial motions pushed off until April 18th because automatically he gets that because he's he's a state legislator. He's part of the assembly. But now he's asking that her testimony, because it has to do with his case, also be pushed back to April. Um, now, the judge hasn't ruled on this motion yet, but he has filed it. I am not familiar enough with Georgia law to to opine on whether her deposition is part of his case. I mean, everyone's deposition would be part of his case in a, because it's RICO, but I'm not sure that the automatic uh, continuance that he's granted for being an assembly member extends to the deposition of other witnesses. But uh, I'm assuming we'll get uh, a ruling from Judge McAfee and we can talk about that on the next show. The dangers when you bring a case this large is all these different interconnected pieces. Most of them will get by fine, but every now and then, if you have something which triggers a you know a conflict with something else, it has the danger of slowing things down. And you know that's part of the reason they're eagerly trying to get as many people as they can uh, to plead, so they can focus on a much smaller group. But you know we'll see soon enough. You know, much like the the Mike Roman motion, I would expect that we're going to get some idea of this uh, within the next few weeks. Uh, and so this this is uh, you know one more piece out of uh, Fulton County. This is from Politico. Quote, 
after fighting a four-month legal battle all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to block his grand jury subpoena and losing, Senator Lindsey Graham turned on a dime and, quote, threw Trump under the bus, unquote. <laughs> According to secret grand jury testimony in Fulton County confirmed by authors Michael Isikoff and Daniel Clademan, Graham testified that if you told Trump, quote, that Martians came and stole the election, he'd probably believe you, unquote. <laughs> he also suggested to the grand jurors that Trump cheated at golf. I'm going to go, Allison, I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that perhaps we need not frame that as a suggestion. I'm going to be bold and say <laughs> the man cheats at golf. And, uh, you know, no two ways about it. But he drives his it, golf cart on the green. So well, yeah, he, he's, a, he's such a, oh, I say, yes, he, he plays golf like he plays at life. Just a yep. e exaggerated, cheating, horrible, no fun to be around person. But now the article continues after Graham was finished testifying, Isakoff and Clayman write, he bumped into Fonnie Willis in a hallway and thanked her for the opportunity to tell his story. Quote, that was so cathartic, he told Willis. I feel so much better. Then, to the astonishment of one source who witnessed the scene, South Carolina Senior Senator hugged the Fulton County DA who was aggressively pursuing Trump. Quote, Willis's reaction? Quote, she was like, whatever, dude, <laughs> according to one witness of the strange encounter, unquote. So there you go. You know, he could have... He could have told his story. He's he's to anyone, he's, the public, and he's yes, he could have, and he won't. And this is something that I, you know, I would love to see Nikki Haley pick up on it because the 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 South Carolina political landscape is ripe for Lindsey Graham's not a big like. I, I keep thinking back to those South Carolina events that Trump shows up. Uh, and when Lindsey Graham is there with him, Lindsey isn't always that well received. And I think this is just one more thing that could add a little bit of uh, friction to the body politic of the state of South Carolina. Yeah, he's the Lindsey fish. He just goes with whatever suits him best at the moment, you know. Um, all right, let's see. <laughs> I like the I like the whatever dude, <laughs> according to a witness of the strange encounter. So thanks for the uh, Politico reporting on that. We have a lot more to get to, but we have to take another. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me in a courtroom how we were at war. 
expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is lawyers, guns, and money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Quick break. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We have more Hall of Fame patrons to thank. You are our Hall of Famers. Thank you so much for helping us do this show. Thank you to Fran Reichenbach, Suzanne Ashworth, BackdropBooks.com, Jeffrey Kincher, Sloan Russell, Kirkland J. Bateman. Side effects include restless torso syndrome. I'm a trash bag from Arizona. Scott Greges or Greges, Patty B. And please don't read this on the pod. We don't need a call out. Thanks for what you do, which we read every month. <laughs> so thank you very much uh, to our Hall of Fame patrons. All right, let's head up to D.C., where the House Sergeant at Arms has been subpoenaed by the Department of Justice for documents. And that's all we knew when the announcement was made. Uh, on the floor of the House notifying the Speaker of the House because by Rule 8, you have to notify the Speaker of the House when somebody in the House is subpoenaed. Uh, And Jake Sherman from Punchbowl News is reporting now that this may be about a Democrat in Congress who apparently is allegedly spending security money on non-security things. That's really all we know at this moment. So I really can't comment or speculate further, but boy, that weaponized Department of Justice going after Democrats. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure this will be both a focus of heightened attention on not only Fox News, but we'll see if, you know, Jim Jordan and James Comer and the Ethics Committee in the House jump all over this because you can, you know, if it's if it's misuse of uh government money. And look, you know, a a crime is a crime. If there was misuse of government money, then it should, and it is illegal, then it should be investigated. But, you know, any notion that somehow this is, you know, one-sided that Joe Biden is politicizing DOJ to go after Trump and all his minions. Really? Really? Because it sure looks like there's a a Democrat (laughs) member of Congress who is under the microscope right now. So Mm -hmm. again, don't try and bring facts to any of these folks. It it won't matter. Do you think uh, Fox News will break into their Taylor Swift is a psyop coverage. It, it's it's hard to say. I you know it's it's I, I I cannot I cannot wait. You know the 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 only the only sliver of light coming out of the Detroit Lions' absolute collapse in their game against San Francisco 49ers is that with the Lions out, I will shamelessly and without hesitation probably might even paint my face red to cheer for the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> Just because of the knots, uh, which uh, MAGA Nation, Football Nation, is tying itself into because this, you know, white male playing for a Midwestern red state team with a uh, somewhat, you know, not even somewhat, with a racially offensive name dating a blue-eyed white country singer 
somehow, somehow has them flummoxed well, about not knowing what to do. But, but you uh, know, I mean, it's 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 a totally brand new thing for a pretty popular girl to be dating a guy on the football team. Um, yeah. But uh, right. I, you know, Who I think has she's the- more pop than country. But yes, yes, understood. Yeah, and it's like you know they 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 don't want to be bothered by having her always on the show. Now it doesn't matter. You can you can point the cameras at the cheerleaders. Now that's fine. That's fine because they're there to entertain the men. But if you have a a successful woman billionaire who is empowering other women and encouraging youth in general to vote, well, that's just beyond the pale. We can't have. We cannot have that. Well, you know what is our democracy? If people are going to vote. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, we did get some uh, interesting news out of the out of the D.C. Uh, federal court this week. Yeah, and <laughs> that's you know, Peter Navarro has been sentenced to four months in prison for defying a congressional subpoena issued by the now defunct January Sixth Select Committee. So you know, we'll see. I, I anticipate he won't quickly appeal, much like Steve Bannon has done. But uh, yeah, four months, that's 120 days in the poke and couldn't happen to a more deserving guy, if you ask me. Yeah. And Judge Amit Mehta has not ruled whether or not he will allow Pete Navarro out for the pendency of his appeal like Bannon is. Uh, So we'll uh, assume, I assume we'll get a, a ruling on that in pretty short order. Uh, next up, that the GOP-led House Ethics Committee is investigating Florida Rep. Matt Gates, as we know, and has contacted multiple new witnesses, including the 17-year-old minor he was allegedly trafficking, and the Department of Justice for records from their federal probe into Gates, which after, I think, um, two, over two years, did not result in any charges. There's so much sexual alleged sexual crime going on here. We don't we don't even have allegations for Donald Trump. It's actual you know sexual assault up in New York that he was found to have committed. We got Matt Gates with a minor. It's like come on, you know this isn't even getting into the you know the the Moms for Liberty uh, spouse uh, and, Ziegler, and, yeah. and Republican state official who was you know accused of sexually assaulting uh, a poor woman down in Florida. It's just how oh, there's so much of this, and it just never seems to end, and it's so aggravating. And I hope I hope the House Ethics Committee gets somewhere with this new round and hopefully maybe they turn up something that DOJ can actually prosecute them with. I know they DOJ from reporting had real concerns about some of the witnesses they would have had to have relied on and their credibility if they had brought uh, charges against Matt Gates. But come on, this is just such disgusting behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shockingly enough, after a, uh, a break and talking to the constituents, Senate Republicans are souring on the idea of impeaching Joe Biden. Senator Cynthia Loomis told the messenger, quote, this is a cynical thing to say, but I kind of hope that the evidence does not lead them to a place where they feel like they have to go through an impeachment. (laughs) Senator Todd Young's constituents in Indiana aren't excited about impeachment, he said, describing potential Senate trials as, quote, unquote, time consuming and, quote, highly contentious. I have long spoken about my concern that snap impeachments would become the norm in this body, unquote. (laughs) <laughs> now, you know, investigations from the three, count of three House committees, oversight, judiciary, and ways and means have yet to uncover any high crimes or misdemeanors from Biden. And now the push to remove Mayorkas from office seems to be largely over policy differences. Mitt Romney said, quote, I haven't heard yet any evidence to suggest that there's been a constitutional standard met for impeachment. The inquiries underway. We'll see what they come up with. But so far, they've got 
nothing, unquote. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they're really going hard after Mayorkas. And, and they asked him to testify. They said next week. And he was like, well, I'll be in Mexico doing a delegation thing next week. How, uh, what other dates do you have available? And they're like, you're defying our subpoena. We're going to put that in our thing. It's just it's absolutely uh, ridiculous. Um, as we know, I mean, th- we are out. Pete, we're out of adjectives to describe what's going on in the House with the Republicans. Uh, but they're increasingly disenchanted with Rep. James Comer. These are the Republicans saying his leadership of the Biden impeachment inquiry has become a clueless investigation at best and at worst, a disaster. Those are quotes. Quote, one would be hard pressed to find the best moment for James Comer in the oversight committee. That's one House Republican lawmaker who spoke anonymously to the messenger and also said, it's been a parade of embarrassments. James Comer continues to embarrass himself and the House Republicans. He screws up over and over and over, the source said. I don't know how Republicans actually impeach the president based on his clueless investigation and lack of leadership. These are Republic. This is Republican on Republican. Yeah, but pretty much sums it up. And I'm sorry, it has become a clueless investigation. I don't know that it ever, it, it came out of the gates. It was like the, the the starting gun goes off and you're like, holy cow, that's a clueless investigator right there. It has been, we're, we're going to get to it. They're going to get to it. I'm sure he's yep. still going to get to it. I Who had, you know, at least some point, you know, Trey Gowdy, I mean, he's a sophist and I have very little, I frankly don't have much at all to say good about the man, but he's bright. And he was a prosecutor, and you could tell James Comer is no Trey Gowdy. I mean, he's not even who is that knucklehead from uh, from Utah who left? Uh, he's on uh, Jason Chaffetz. He's no Jason Chaffetz even. And Jason Chaffetz is a poor man's Trey Gowdy. I mean, we're just we are spiraling down into the clown car, and we're left with you know the people who couldn't make the JV team, the JV circus team. They were not picked up, and so that's who we've got. And here we have allegedly an actual Democrat who's misappropriating security funding in the House. Nothing. No. Nothing from the nothing from any Republican committee. All no. Right. I, you know, and, and continuing, you know, let's pivot from the House over to the Senate. You know, New Jersey Senator on the other side of the aisle, Bob Menendez, wants a New York judge to toss out much of the evidence in the bribery prosecution against him, saying investigators illegally searched his residence as revenge. Because the Democrat defeated a prior prosecution in his home state. Oh. And then his lawyers said FBI agents ransacked the senator's home during a June 16, 2022 raid, seizing, quote, virtually anything of value. Agents broke down doors, even in some cases where the doors were unlocked, and tore apart closets, wardrobes, dressers, and other storage locations in the home, flipped over documents, and rifled through file folders, they wrote. Continuing... The FBI seized all manner of things, including the cash and gold bars that the government has made the centerpiece of the of its case. Yes, because they <laughs> allegedly came from a goddamn foreign agent in exchange for favors that you allegedly did as a senator on the Foreign Relations Committee. And I it drove me nuts when Trump complained about this crap at Mar-a-Lago. It drives me nuts when Bob Menendez says stuff like this about his house. There's a standard procedure that agents follow when they do a search. There is nothing untoward here. You're an alleged criminal. In my opinion, you're going to jail because you broke the law and abused the public trust. And frankly, this sort of whining, save it. Pete, they got a search warrant based on evidence. And then they came in and took the gold bars, which have serial numbers from gold bars that were stolen from one of his accomplices. And then 
they looked and rifled through documents. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? No, you know, you you don't want the, (laughs) you don't want the FBI rifling in through your stuff and seizing your gold bars. Don't take gold bars from a, uh, an agent of foreign power. How about that? It, it, there's a pretty easy solution to this Senator. It's the same solution. You don't want people rifling through Mar-a-Lago. Don't steal classified shit. (laughs) And when the government comes and asks for it back, give it back. Don't hoard it. And then go talking about it. That's the way you keep the FBI from going through and seizing classified material. Which, by the way, can we just start? You know, we're on the verge of potentially, you know, three servicemen and women were killed uh, in Jordan on the Syrian border from what looks like a uh, an attack by Iranian-backed militias. And we may be well headed towards, uh, you know, some pretty significant military action increasingly directly against Iran, potentially. Let's just take a pause and think about all the classified information relating to Iran that Donald Trump allegedly kept and talked about with Mark Meadows biographers and God knows who the fuck else and ask ourselves on the eve of potential military action against Iran or Iranian proxies, how much greater Trump's action created greater harm to the national security of the United States because of his inability to follow the rules regarding the handling of classified information. Think just well, just stick that in the back of your head as as we watch what unfolds overseas. Well, not only that, but do you remember how hard he went to obstruct justice against Hulkbank for for allowing Iranian sanctions to be skirted? He was helping money go to Iran. His tower, his Azerbaijani tower, um, ended up being a laundromat for the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. Uh, he. <laughs> He's a he, Trump is a friend of Iran, um, and notably so. He fired federal prosecutors that were investigating uh, those sanctions, the the sanctions busting. He he uh, talked to Barr. He talked to Matt Whitaker, trying to get them to drop the investigation. He tried to get Rex Tillerson to force the DOJ to stop investigating that. And then when all that was said and done, he's he created an account in Qatar for the Iranian money to go into. And then when that was released, that's when all the Republicans and the right-wing media was like, Joe Biden has given billions of dollars to Iran. This is all, anyway, I could I could go on for a long time, uh, but uh, yeah. this is only an hour show and we have still a lot more news to get to. So <laughs> let's take a quick break first though. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. 
they were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is lawyers, guns, and money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. Welcome back. The final Hall of Fame patrons we'd like to thank today include Christine G. Passion, Mitchell, January 20, baby, a dinosaur in dental school, Nacho Supreme Court or Nacho Court Belgrande, either way, I have indigestion. Chris Simpson, David in Brooklyn, Lance Buckley, Greg Kreimer, Charles Jones, and did we confirm Pete's uncle is a patron? Thank all of you for your support. Again, you are the the uh, the, the elites who really go above and beyond to keep the show rolling. So thank you each and every one of you uh, for your support of the program. So a few final stories that we want to cover today. Let's start with Smartmatic's $2.7 billion, with a B, dollar lawsuit against Fox. A New York judge ruled last Wednesday that Fox will have to face the defamation lawsuit after denying Fox News parent company's motion to dismiss the suit. So game on. And if you, you know, to the extent that people may be waiting uh, to potentially settle to see if it would survive the motion to dismiss, it did. But Smartmatic must also face Fox's counterclaims that the substantial defamation claims are intended to suppress free speech. The judge ruled in a separate order. And then finally, and this is really interesting, just came out today and other Smartmatic news, the president of the far right network One American News uh, apparently sent a potentially explosive email to former Trump campaign lawyer Sidney Powell with a spreadsheet claiming to contain passwords of employees from the voting technology company Smartmatic, according to court filings. Now, wow. the existence of the spreadsheet was recently disclosed by Smartmatic, which is suing OAN for defamation. CNN pieced together who was involved in the email exchanges by examining court records from three separate cases stemming from the 2020 election. Lawyers from Smartmatic told a federal judge that the email and the attached spreadsheet suggested OAN executives, quote, may have engaged in criminal activities because they appear to have violated state and federal laws regarding data privacy. And I, Allison, I'm super interested to see where this goes because there are some, you know, the uh, CFA, there are the federal cyber crimes, particularly if you get access to somebody's account and their password and log in, uh, you know, appearing or, you know, pretending to be them, there's significant federal crimes that get triggered by that with significant penalties if that's what happened. Now, we've got a long way to go. We don't know if these, in fact, are accurate accounts and passwords. We don't know if anybody took action 
to uh, access that information. But again, it goes to, this is one of the reasons why civil litigation matters. This is one of the ways mm-hmm. in which civil accountability and the more broadly, the judicial system are as much of a check on Trump's behavior as anything else. And this is not what Jack Smith is doing. This is not what Fannie Willis or Alvin Bragg or anybody else. This is civil litigation that Smartmatic is uh, is doing. And it sure looks like OAN, it, it doesn't look good. And I am very interested to see if any state or federal investigative agencies open cases based on this information. Yeah, or if Jack Smith already has it on Sidney Powell, and she's an unindicted co-conspirator in January 6th, then, and maybe he's just, again, waiting to drop those, waiting to, you know, indict those co-conspirators after the Trump trial goes so that, that it doesn't get bogged down with the additional motions and push it into 2025. Who knows? We will see. Uh, I have a feeling it might take a while, but we'll figure it out. Uh, next up from Brandy Buckman at Law and Crime. With a filing on the bankruptcy court docket in New York entered Wednesday, our friend Rudy Giuliani has been officially ordered to testify in person next month about the state of his finances, about his two turntables and a microphone in the wake of a court order uh, that he pay the former election workers he defamed, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, $148 million. Now, in the order reviewed by Law and Crime on Wednesday, it explained clearly that when Giuliani goes to meet with his creditors for a hearing on February 7th, as debtor, he must attend the meeting to be questioned under oath. So we <laughs> may actually find out if Rudy's broke or if he's hiding assets, as Ruby Freeman and Shamos and their attorneys have said, we want to be able to go after him in other jurisdictions. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah. And you can bet that, you know, when we uh, spoke to the one of the attorneys for Ruby Freeman and Shamos, and we're talking about all the, you know, the smart CPAs and financial investigators they have at the on the team to listen to what Rudy has to say. And again, you know, he goes there and does not disclose something or misstate something. He can open himself up for yet more, you know, criminal trouble and, you know, if he purges himself. So I can't, having read his filing about what the extent of his assets are, I can't believe there's not more money somewhere else out there. And so we'll, we'll see soon enough. There are a lot of really qualified, talented people who are going to dive into that and try and figure out whether or not that's accurate. Well, he has a podcast, but he doesn't have our Hall of Fame patrons. So who knows? That's who knows true. He's, he's got also there. got the, what's the little thing where you can like pay him $30 and have him read little cameo. teapot <laughs> poems, cameo. It's like, oh my God, can you yeah. debase yourself any further? But uh, apparently he can. Apparently he can. You know, you got visions of Borat, you know, tucking in the microphone on the bed. Uh, so uh, the, la- the last story we've got today is from the New York Times. Federal prosecutors have accused Donald J. Trump of plotting to subvert American democracy and mishandling nuclear secrets. But with those cases in limbo, state prosecutors in Manhattan, don't forget about them. They're gearing up. So they'll be the first to try the former president on criminal charges for covering up a potential sex scandal. And the Manhattan District Attorney's Office has begun to approach witnesses to prepare them for trial, including Michael D. Cohen, Mr. Trump's former fixer, according to people with knowledge of the matter. He and at least two others involved in buying a porn star's silence about her story of a tryst with Mr. Trump are expected to meet with prosecutors in the coming weeks. With the potential trial drawing near, the District Attorney Alvin L. Bragg has also added one of his most experienced trial lawyers to the team assigned to prosecute Mr. Trump. 
And in recent public appearances, Mr. Bragg has presented the loftiest possible conception of the case, casting it as a clear-cut instance of election interference in which a candidate defrauded the American people to win the White House in 2016. Mr. Trump did so, the attorney argues, by concealing an illegal payoff to the porn star, thus hiding damaging information from voters just days before they headed to the polls. If the federal case is delayed by several months, Mr. Bragg would most likely be the first prosecutor to put a former American president on trial, even as he has conveyed a willingness to wait. Although he was the first to secure an indictment of Mr. Trump, Mr. Bragg has said he will not, quote, stand on ceremony, unquote, all but encouraging the federal trials to jump ahead of his in line. And so that's the New York Times reporting. I, given the way things, we are still waiting, Allison, for <laughs> decisions out of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And having spent a career in law enforcement, it is not at all surprising that the judicial system is slow. Uh, you know, some say that is a feature. I would argue many times it can be a bug. I think uh, there is not always a lot of urgency uh, on the part of a lot of courts. And some of it is, well, you know, quick law makes for bad law. Uh, many things make for bad law, but quickness is is not always good. But there's also a sense of a little more alacrity across the board might be a better thing. And I think for folks who didn't follow uh, or weren't familiar with the judicial process uh, until Donald Trump racked up 91 indictments, they're finding out the fact that, yes, things do take a long time. And so that's all to say, while uh, D.A. Bragg has said he'd be happy to wait, I think it may be quite likely that he's the first to go just because other things will not be uh, ready to go uh, when he is. Hmm. Yeah, and it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how all these trials end up how you know how they fa- end up falling on the calendar, right? It's like we said at the beginning of the show, we've got the fraud civil trial in February for the pyramid scheme. Um, any day now, and maybe even by the time you hear this episode, we'll have the Judge Angoran ruling for the New York Attorney General civil fraud trial. Uh, there could be additional uh, defamation suits brought by Eugene Carroll. Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss may sue Trump for defamation after they successfully sued Rudy Giuliani. Uh, and then, of course, we've got the two federal trials, like you said, both on hold. The the documents won because Judge Cannon is <laughs> just incompetent or slow or in Trump's pocket or all three. Who knows? Um, and then, of course, like you said, we're waiting for that immunity decision from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which I thought we would have had a week ago. Uh, but it's, you know, it's still out. They're still deliberating, I guess, or writing or, you know. I'm, I'm feeling good about this week. I'm feeling good about this week. I I think so, too. We're going to get, I think we're going to get the Angoran uh, ruling. And I think we're also going to get the immunity ruling uh, in the federal cases. But regardless, even if they lift the stay this week on the D.C. trial, we are about 50 or 60 days of additional delay, probably more for additional, you know, motions and things that happen before trial. Uh, and, you know, as as Andy and I have said now for the last uh, month or two, this probably is going to go in May, right? April, May, June. Uh, so does that give Alvin Bragg enough time for his trial, which is scheduled to start at the end of March? It might, um, but we'll, we'll see. Either way, I think we will get some kind of conviction or at least a trial for criminal behavior of Donald Trump uh, before the election. We will see. 
I I worry that Alvin Bragg is our one and only potential shot at doing that, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. And you have to remember the the crimes that Alvin Bragg is going after are far older than the insurrection crimes. Um, so it's not like well, Al, you can't really compare Alvin Bragg's prosecution with. Fonnie Willis's or the DOJ when you go on a timeline because DOJ and Fonnie Willis are going after stuff that happened, uh, at, you know, January sixth and that surrounding time frame. Whereas Alvin Bragg's talking about stuff that happened in 2016. So that's how long this stuff takes, and it's again frustrating. I understand. I get it. Uh, I am also frustrated. I'm sitting here refreshing Pacer as I talk to you, Pete, <laughs> to find out where this immunity. Uh, thing is and i keep forgetting i'm i'm west coast so the court's yeah, closed seven o'clock <laughs> ain't nothing ain't nothing coming out late at night so we'll uh yeah but i mid mid late week i'm feeling good about this week yeah we'll see god help we'll... us if it's not but feeling good about this <sighs> i week. know like come on um but you know maybe that gives enough push time pushed back to for for alvin bragg to go we'll see Anyway, thank you all so much. Again, thanks to our Hall of Fame patrons. Thanks to everybody who listens to this show. Even the simple act of listening to this show really, really helps us out. We appreciate you. I got to hang out with Pete on a a, a video here wearing a suit because he just came fresh off of a hit on MSNBC. Make sure to catch him there as a... As their, uh, are you? What, what's your title? Legal analyst to law no, enforcement? No, I'm just, I'm just a, uh, a a former FBI agent and talk about national security stuff and law enforcement stuff. So, you're Pete, you're just Pete, you're Pete. Yeah, just Pete, just Pete. So, thank you very much, everyone, for um, for listening to this show. It really that makes me happy, and uh, we appreciate you. Uh, do you, I don't have any final thoughts? Do you have any final thoughts, my friend? Nope, sure don't. We'll uh, looking forward to the bonus coming up at the end of the week. Have some really good feedback. We have amazing listeners, by the way. All of you like blow me away. Some of the comments that come in uh, and expertise that's out there. But we were talking about the pill mill that was the White House under Ronnie Jackson. Had some really interesting feedback, and finally that story is picking up um, a little bit of play in the mainstream media. But we can talk about that a little more in the bonus. But thank all of you <laughs> yeah, for your support. And-, and I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to this both the dinner and the live show. The hijinks of a live show. Anything could happen. Oh, well, I have a, usually a script. I hope you don't don't screw it up, Pete. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll see you all next week on Clean Up on All 45. And patrons, we'll see you this weekend for the bonus episode. If you're not a patron yet, you get twice the number of episodes. So head to patreon.com slash aisle45pod, A-I-S-L-E-4-5-P-O-D. Sign up, support us, support independent media, supports Pete swearing. Uh, He is an entire smoke show. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I've been Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Strucker. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. M-S-W Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I 
step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.